Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to the Social Jello with Angelo show. Today on Social Jello, I talk to expat uh, Matthew. Um, he has a Facebook handle now. His name is Matthew Ward, um, but his Facebook handle is, I think, is Ma Matthew Matsumisa. Or he's using his Japanese last name on his Facebook. Either way, um, yeah, it's, it was a really great conversation. We talked about uh, how he became an expat. I interviewed him because I know a lot of people talk about wanting to go out there, see the world, and it's kind of just a dream or an idea, but they really don't know how to make that dream or idea a reality. So I figured this would be a great part of my series of uh, checking in on the lives of expats um, here in Japan, and uh, he kind of shares his story about how he became an expat and moved around and talks about some really cool some really cool stories about about uh, different countries he visited and how he finally ended up uh, settling down in Japan. So um, yeah, definitely it, it was a great podcast. Uh, I don't really do ads on my show, but uh, I just mentioned real quick, if you want to see more of my show, if this is your first episode you're checking out, I got plenty of more material at www.socialjello.com. Um, I'm not sure where you're watching this or listening to this. But uh, there's some apps. You can listen to it for free as a podcast on uh, TuneIn Radio. Uh, just Google TuneIn. That's the easiest thing. Or www.tunein.com. But yeah, you can just check it out. Um, Social Jello with Angelo uh, on TuneIn and Blueberry. And Last.fm are some of the applications and online internet stations that have my show. And it's available for free. Also, at my website, too, you can listen to it as a podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, I really appreciate you taking the 30 minutes to two hours, depending on the podcast, to watch this. I personally love listening to podcasts. Um, it's just really easy for me. Uh, podcasts I like listening to. I like listening to the Joe Rogan Experience. I like listening to History on Fire podcast. I like listening to Martyr Made podcast, which is also a history podcast. Hardcore history. A lot of history. And uh, I also like listening to The Drunken Taoist, just to give a shout out to some of my favorite podcasts. But either way, the cool thing I like about podcasts, if you're watching this from YouTube, is that you do not have to put your life on hold to listen to something, right? Because this, obviously, my show is not formatted to be a four-minute YouTube clip. Um, it's, to be, it's, it's a podcast. It's kind of an internet radio, right? So it, it's a lot easier to just listen to on the go, on your phone. I usually listen to podcasts when I'm working out or when I'm driving. I drive a lot, so I, I usually just set up my Bluetooth and, and go and, and just listen to, to a podcast while driving somewhere. Uh, if you're stuck in traffic, it, 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 beats, it beats listening to FM, Clear Channel, and all that other bullshit. Yeah, pretty much, honestly. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy this episode, and uh, without further ado... Here is Matthew Ward. So what's up, Matthew? Um, like I was telling you off camera, or off air, I was telling you about the new direction that I wanted to go in with the podcast. And um, I'm, I'm talking to more expats and talking about their experiences and 
what made him want to leave uh, the U.S. And I guess that's for I say that again. I, I was talking about how people are very American centric, and here I go a- acting like all expats are from the U.S. But um, but yeah, like kind of this idea of what made you want to leave your country and start a life in another country, and what kind of started that thought process. I know a lot of people right now listening from the U.S. Um, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of my followers on Facebook and a few of them from Twitter too. Uh, they talk about how they want to leave the U.S. because of you know whatever political circumstances and stuff that's going on over there, or just being kind of feeling like they're stuck in a rut with their job and they want to start a new life somewhere else. I've had, I had someone actually reach out to me uh, two weeks ago, and they were just saying, just from a career standpoint and from a personal standpoint, they just feel kind of stuck and they feel like there might be more opportunities in another country. And they were and they were looking at Japan, uh, Canada, and Australia as options. So um, I guess kind of going off that wave of thinking and and this direction that I've been going in, talking to people, I just I just really want to relate. I've talked about I've talked about my experiences a little bit, but um, I've been kind of interviewing other expats to get an idea what it took to to leave your country and what that entailed and how that worked out for you. Um, what made you want to do it? And at the end, you know, how did that affect your relationships with your family and friends back at home? And how did you move on from there? I know that's like a 100 part question, <laughs> but I guess starting it kind of simple. How did that work for you? When did you first realize that you wanted to, to, to go become an expat or move out of the country or, or start traveling the world? Uh, it was in the early 90s. Uh, I had been influenced by uh, family. I had family that had spent time in Asia, lived in Asia uh, and other countries. I had friends that had taught English overseas, and that seemed really appealing. And I was kind of frustrated with the political situation in the U.S., but for me it was more like kind of positively wanting to have an adventure, wanting to see other countries and it kind of went step by step because I started traveling and then the girl I was with at the time was probably more frustrated with politics than I was and said, oh, we should move abroad. Originally, Japan was her idea, but we gave up on that because uh, she didn't have the degree to work in Japan. And, um, and we ended up choosing Thailand because that would have been easier for her, but, but we happened to break up before we actually moved. And I had kind of started reading about Thailand and I got really excited about that. So that was the first place I went, but I didn't really know, am I going there forever or just for a while and ended up being a couple of years. Oh, wow. And the girl that you were with, was she, I'm, I'm assuming she was also American? Yeah, another American like myself. Uh, cool, cool. You said that was like in the 90s, right? Yeah, I mean, I actually moved to Thailand in 1993, and I've lived in the U.S. since then somewhat, but I've spent most of the last 25 years in Asia. Oh, wow. wow. So, so how old were you when that happened? I would have been 25 um, when I, in 1993 when I moved to Thailand, yeah. Uh, and now I'm 50, so it's been half my life pretty much. <laughs> so you went back to Thailand. Um, what were you doing for work? Um, I My idea was teaching English, and my family has a background in teaching in general. I had taken some courses to have a certificate, like teaching English as a foreign language certificate, 
So I did that for a couple of years. And uh, the other thing is in Thailand, I got really into learning the Thai language. So that kind of got me going. So I was like, well, if I keep doing this, I can learn more Asian languages and I can teach English in other Asian countries. And then you said you got your certificate for teaching English as a first language. That's the TEFL. As a foreign, as a foreign language, as yeah. A foreign language. That's the TEFL, yeah, right? Yeah. That's what they call uh, it. Yeah, I got a TEFL certificate. And one of the two times I lived in the United States for any period of time since living is I went back to the United States in 95, lived for maybe less than a year and a half, but I'd already had some credits toward graduate school from my certificate. So I got a degree in um, T-E-S-O-L, TESOL, um, teaching English to speakers of other languages, I guess it's called. Oh, wow. I've always wondered what the abbreviations were for that. So you, abbreviations. <laughs> so you went the traditional classic right, route as far as teaching English. You got the degree of, you got the, you got a bachelor's degree, I'm, I'm guessing? a bachelor's degree just in creative writing then i got the certificate before i went to thailand and then i actually got a master's degree in teaching english to speakers of other languages right. and after i did that that was in 96 i finished that i moved to taiwan that's a little confusing because it's not thailand but sounds similar <laughs> yeah no, very different <laughs> i've been to taiwan it's, it's nice yeah, um, yeah nice place I guess one thing I want to say to my listeners that are listening to the to this right now, I've mentioned in the past in my other podcasts that um, that's that's I I came to Japan on a different track. I knew that all I needed was a bachelor's from a foreign, from a as a native speaking from a native English speaking country. So I got my bachelor's in psychology, and I immediately ended up coming out here and teaching English in Japan. Some countries do require the TESOL, TEFL. Some programs don't. That varies by place and by by school. Um, eventually, I did get my master's, which kind of locked me into being able to... And my master's and my thesis was done on linguistics and learning lear, how language cognition and how people process learning a second language. Um so now I'm a little more locked in, but before I wasn't, but that still was didn't really, for my listeners listening and trying to formulate a plan maybe, um, that really didn't stop me from getting a job. And I've also met people that came out here and taught English and didn't have any, any type of educational background. I wouldn't recommend that, but I, I've met people like that too. Um, and just to, just to piggyback on that a little bit, yeah, I mean, I worked in Thailand with just a bachelor's degree. And I know many people who have done here in Japan. Um, but uh, I, and as I said, the reason why I went to Thailand, though, is because my then girlfriend, she didn't even have a bachelor's degree. So Japan was kind of looking difficult. So we chose Thailand because it seemed pretty chill. Oh, OK, cool. So it sounds like maybe Japan's a little more strict. Uh, yeah, but you should. You still don't need a master's degree for a lot of jobs. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, for anybody who does have a master's, it's kind of an you're kind of overqualified, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you were in Taiwan, uh, but following your story, you're still not in Japan. So what's up? What happened? How'd you get out here? <laughs> well, basically, not long after I I moved to Taiwan, I met uh, the person I would later end up getting married to and she happens to be from Japan and you know I had this idea you know Taiwan and then Japan was kind of a logical next step I mean I guess Korea could have been it too but 
I had obviously been thinking about Japan all along. So when after a while she said, let's, she'd like to move to Japan. And I was totally, it was kind of already an idea in my head. So it was not a hard choice to make. Oh, uh, okay. And like, how did you meet your wife? Where did you meet her? Uh, I just met her actually. Well, kind of a weird story. I was, um, I started, well, I first came to Taiwan. I was staying in what was called the Happy Family Hostel. It's a group of hostels in downtown Taipei. The owner, John Lee, um, I became friends with him and he said, hey, I've got an extra room at my house. If you want to be a roommate, he gave me a pretty good deal. So I was living with him, but he didn't have a washing machine. So I was going back to the hostel and Oh, and also another weird thing is my dad had come with me to Taiwan. He was staying in the hostel still. And my wife was a group of kind of young hangouts at the hostel. She had graduated from university in Japan, didn't want to go get a job right away. She just flew to Taiwan to kind of hang out. And so she was hanging out there. And so I met her through some of my friends and my dad because she was staying in the same hostel with them. Oh, I see. I see. So things did, developed, did you end up, um, you were dating and stuff in Taiwan or how did it, how did things turn around and suddenly you were getting married? Did you get married after you came back to Japan or did you get married beforehand? How'd that work? We actually didn't get, we uh, get a convoluted story. We didn't end up getting married till in 2002, we moved to New Mexico for two and a half years. That was the only time I've lived in the United States since 95. And um, at, we had got married there, but we had decided to get married somewhere along the way. It was kind of one of those long engagement things. But she had been doing different things, but she left Taiwan, ended up coming back, lived there for a couple of years. And then she wanted to save money to go to grad school in the U.S. That's why we went to New Mexico. So then she was like, yeah, let's go to Japan. Let's save some money for my graduate uh, degree. And after she got the graduate degree, we kind of talked about maybe staying in New Mexico, but we ended up moving back to Japan. Again, her idea, but I, I liked the idea. All right. All right. So if, I, if I'm following this right, Taiwan, and then you went back to New Mexico for a while. Uh, she got She followed her, her educational plans a little more and then um and after that you decided to come back to japan but you still weren't married at that point well when we came back to japan the second time i'll i'll, I'll uh, clarify that a bit it was taiwan and then japan to save money for her degree in new mexico and then new mexico and we got married there and then we came back to japan and oh. then that became ever since like that's 2005 i've been there i've been here 13 years now so she got married you got so y'all got married in america yeah that's right yeah oh cool so she's all right here's a. I mean if you don't want to answer this question i get it but so she right now holds two passports an american passport and a japanese passport no, she never did any kind of green card stuff or even let alone citizenship. She's just a Japanese citizen. She was in New Mexico on a student visa. Okay. Um, and we were planning to get married, but we were being really had no date. But to be honest, student housing, we, they had this great apartment. They said, you guys can live here, but you can't do it unless you're related to each other. <laughs> so we were like, well, let's finally get married. So we did. <laughs> That's funny. So, so... So you ended up getting married. So you, 
so you two could live together in the student housing because they didn't allow yeah. non otherwise they didn't allow non married couples to live together. That's crazy. So they wouldn't allow boyfriend and girlfriends to live together in their apartment house. They wouldn't allow that. They wouldn't allow that. No. That was against their policy. It has to be related. I, I guess it would get messy, right? Like if they break up, then they got to figure out how they're going to separate them and get another room and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out that logic. Either way, <laughs> so so you ended up getting married in America. You didn't do any of the immigration paperwork, which which is a great idea because you were planning on coming to Japan anyway. I wish I would have done that if I would have known. In hindsight, I didn't, and I'm still paying money because of that mistake, but that's a different story. Um, so you came to Japan, um, I guess, how long, how long, how many years are we talking about here between, between saying that you wanted to move out of the country, going to Taiwan, going back to New Mexico, and finally coming back to Japan? How many years are we talking about here? Um, well, uh, about 13 years, I think, because I had, you know, like my then girlfriend and I way back when, not my wife, but we're talking like 92, we're like, we're going to move to Japan. And then I really finally moved to Japan in 2000 and then moved back to Japan in 2005 after leaving for two and a half years. So it's quite a long period of time. All right, so 13 years between the initial decision, going to Taiwan, going to uh, going to Thailand, going to Taiwan, coming back to New Mexico, and then getting married, and finally coming back to Japan. Yeah, finally, yeah. Moving. I, yeah, well, I lived in Japan from 2000 to 2002. That was saving money to uh, get for my wife's, well, I saved money for myself. She was saving money for her education. So I did have a shorter stint in Japan from 2000 to 2002. And what was your initial reaction? I mean, at that point, you've already, you have already visited Thailand and Taiwan, but what was your initial reaction seeing, like visiting Japan, coming to Japan for the first time? I first came to Japan, I believe it was 97 or 90. I was just visiting because my wife was from there, going with her. I had lived in two Asian countries and I was quite impressed because at that time, tai, tai, Taiwan was really still kind of developing, and especially Thailand is very much a developing country. So it was this very modern culture that also seemed to have its own identity. Uh, it seemed very Asian, but at the same time, like very much a settled modern society. And the other Asian countries uh, were kind of more in transition. So that was really interesting. And I was really impressed by, you know, you have a country that seems very culturally exotic, uh, but is, is completely fully a modern country. I don't know if I'd really experienced that combination before. That's really cool. And then coming around the nineties, you were coming right. Well, I mean, I know a lot of Japanese people were saying when I first came out only five years ago that that I missed it, that I'm coming during an economic recession and everyone's kind of in a hustle mood to make money. But um, but from what I heard, I, like in the 90s, they were more, even though they say that their economic boom ended around early 90s, my impression is things were still going fairly kind of well and still booming up until the year 2000 or so. What would you say? It's hard to say because I started living here in Japan for the initial two-year period, two period in 2000. So 
that's kind of like my real comparison point. Oh. Um, and it's weird for me. I mean, I, I guess I can say that, in, like, I've been here for some real obvious recession points. Um, and sometimes it seems like a recession in Japan looks like a boom in another country. Um, now, lately, of course, the economy has come back. But, you know, I've been, like, you know, let's say 2005, 2006, 2007, the economy was pretty low then. But it was always a little odd for me because I, I knew facts about how that was affecting people, like having trouble finding good jobs after university for college students. But I just saw, you know, a lot of people are shopping and uh, looking prosperous and all that. So mm -hmm. it was a little hard to to put it all together, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that, that uh, that's pretty much what I saw when I came in 2000. I forgot what 2000, what year it was, five years ago, 2013, 2012 or so. Right. Yeah, about 2012. Um, yeah, they told me not to come. My, my my wife's parents were like, don't come. No one can get a job. He's not going to be able to make it. He's not going to be able to find a job. Uh, it's really hard right now. And I was thinking to myself, like, when I when I came out here, and you know, just then they were like, the first six months I came out, I was waiting for my degree to be processed. So I, I finished my program, but I didn't have my transcripts yet. So I didn't because I didn't have my transcripts. The first place that I that I applied to told me they needed my transcripts before they could hire me. That they they interviewed me, they liked me, but they needed to see those transcripts as the final thing because I said I had a bachelor's, and just to follow up with being honest about what I like the credentials I said I had. That I technically they said they could have hired me without it, but I said I I had it, so I have to show it to them. So I went through this weird like waiting period of six months while they were trying to figure it out because there were some issues and then her parents were like see he doesn't have a job it's exactly what we thought and they were like freaking out and um after the six months was up and i got my transcripts of course i got hired and they were just really shocked about how that all worked out but I, even then like i felt that a lot of what japanese people felt was a bad economy had nothing to do with the day-to-day life that i saw happening and then when i got my job i, I don't know maybe because i was in kobe and i'm around a, a higher economic status. but even then like i live in the countryside so where i live is supposed to be like lower economic status but even the people out here in the middle of the countryside not a big city like kobe or anything a really small place everyone seems to be doing very well i, I mean maybe because i came from from the hood I, I, let's talk about that like you know i came from California, Southern California, from San Diego, and I came from like a, a poorer area of San Diego called Escondido, and there was a lot of gang violence and stuff. So like to me, this neighborhood was in way better condition than my old neighborhood in California. Um, everyone drives a new car. I, I, don't, I don't think I've seen anyone with a used car, or let alone no car. Um, and if they have no car, it's by choice because they want to take public transportation. So I guess it was kind of always, that, that, that was always kind of weird for me too as well. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed I've lived in very, very urban areas in Japan, and I know a lot of people don't have cars, but again, it's because if they're in a very urban area, a lot of people are like, why bother? Um, there's not really a need. One thing I can say about economics is if I go back like 10 years or more, I can remember because like having students or friends who are college graduates who were really struggling to find jobs, and now in 2018, there are more jobs than there are applicants. So I could see that struggle for young people, uh, but just in terms of like people actually not having enough to eat or 
I, I didn't see much of that. I haven't ever seen much of that here. Yeah, I think again, like the Japanese perspective of an economic recession means like since they're already at a very high standard of living, um, an economic recession for them is more like the top investors losing money and complaining and bitching about it on on the news. <laughs> That that too, and also, I mean, thinking about things I've seen that might have changed, I do remember seeing more homeless encampments, like say twelve years ago. Um, I I I don't see much of them, and I think a lot of people are just getting sucked into the economy because of the job shortage or the the labor shortage here um, has really kicked in. But um, so yeah, I mean, there is poverty here, but just on average, yeah, it it, it it's hard to see sometimes. So you came out, you started working, um, you got your job teaching English. I guess that's another thing, right? Like, what would you say is the average salary of someone teaching English out in Japan? You know, that's a good question. And I don't, I, I, I guess I, I should compare notes with people more. Um, it used to be that the, the government required that a full-time job was about uh, I'll speak in American money for listeners, but maybe about two and a half thousand dollars per month. Um, and since then, there's been some kind of, you know, the, the, the labor conditions have unfortunately gotten worse. Um, but I think a lot of people are making over three thousand dollars a month if they've been here for some time. Um, I've met people making more, but I, I still once in a while I look at like entry level jobs and you see some jobs with pretty shitty pay. So I guess I. I, 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 it's hard for me to answer that question. Um, well, I remember I, I read an article that estimated uh, – estimates are hard though, right? Because they're going to grab the person who makes the most and the person who makes the least. So I like to look at – in psychology statistics, social statistics, we're always talking about the median and the mode. And the mode might give you a better idea depending on what position you're talking about. The problem with medians, like I said earlier, is like if you look at how much, how much someone who owns their own English school like me makes, and you put me in the pool of people who are coming in for entry level positions. So like I was, I'll start with the entry level position because that's what probably my listeners are looking at. Um, and what I've seen out of the mode for entry level positions is equivalent to anywhere between fifteen and twenty dollars an hour. And and then from there, depending on how you hustle it. That could that could equal out to about twenty five thousand to thirty thousand dollars a year starting. That sounds about right. Which is not bad. I mean, some people look at that, and maybe you're making more where you're at in the U.S. And if you look at that, you hear that price, and you think to yourself, "Well, it's not worth it for me." Another thing you have to think about is if you're not happy with your life circumstances, or you're not happy with your environment. Um, then the way I saw it when I came out was, yeah, I mean, I might be able to make more because at the time I had a bachelor's and I was going to move on to my master's. Um, and I was thinking I might be able to make more. But when I came out here, I realized that um, I was able to make I was able to make like that salary. And I really was not working full, full time. I wasn't working like eight hours straight. I was probably working anywhere between six and seven hours um, a day, five days a week. And I was making that money. And it, again, as time went by, uh, 
I started figuring out that you, I can do private lessons and do private contracting and started my own school. And that, that really skewed things a lot. And, and things do get, start to change the longer you stay out here. I think for doing that kind of thing, because I've watched a lot of people do different things in the general kind of like foreign language teaching realm. And I think that having some skills, but then also having kind of an entrepreneurial sense, that really helps uh, if you're going to go in that direction. I mean, there are other directions to go in, but um, I happen to not have that. So I've never gone in that direction, but I've seen some people do great with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it just depends on what you want. And then for the, my listeners also, again, like if, if you're looking at traveling, what I always thought was pretty cool about teaching English as a second language is not just Japan, but once once you've actually got your foot in the door, uh, like you were mentioning earlier, it's a little easier to get into some other Asian countries than it is into Japan. It's still a great opportunity to travel. I know a lot of Americans don't really travel. They, they talk about it, but they don't really get around to it because of how expensive it is. And the cool thing is that once you travel in this sense... If you really have no responsibilities like a mortgage or some sort of payment to bog you down back in the U.S., um, I mean, aside from college payments, like I, I understand if you have that, and, but you can still pull it off fairly well, fairly easily. It'll allow you to see another country and still have an income, which is something that you don't usually get to have unless you make a lot of money. I'll also add about the, the, the issue of, of wages and life costs. I just find like most of the time I've lived in the U.S., I've had to have a car. Cars suck up a lot of money. Uh, living in an urban area in Japan, you don't. Uh, in fact, in some ways, in the country, it's great, but in the urban area, it can be kind of a pain in the butt. Um, and so that saves money. The health care saves money, um, uh, especially when you start having kids. You realize how much money you're saving that you would, you know, might have to pay up front in the U.S., and, a lot of things like that, even like everybody thinks Japan's so expensive and Tokyo is really expensive. But like I compare rents around here to like Seattle or San Francisco, New York. And it's actually, you know, if you're going to live in a major big American city, you're, you're probably paying higher rents than here. Yeah. Even in Tokyo, which is the most expensive, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, a lot of I don't think I could, you know, I can get the apartment we're living in. It's a, not a, it's a we bought it instead of rented it couldn't get it in Seattle where I'm from for the same price. Yeah. 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 Like again, if you look at major cities, it's definitely, it's definitely different. And then again, like we're talking about major cities here. If you decide to go somewhere a little smaller, not only is the pay higher, they pay you more. If you decide to go into places like, uh, like Okayama, or if you wanted to go to like Kyushu or Hokkaido, those places pay more for English teaching. And then you're talking about even, like it's even easier for the cost of living in those situations. And that's just talking about Japan, not even talking about the idea that if you go to another country, like one friend of mine decided to teach in China and she's making $60,000 a year with a bachelor's. Uh-huh. So like, I mean, it, it just depends on what country you decide to go to also. Yeah. I mean, I think that if people want to live abroad in Asia, they're native English speakers or near native English speakers. If you want to have a good life, uh, I think that's pretty doable. For people who want to save masses of money for something like a mortgage at home, it's doable but harder. Um, I mean, the one thing about Japan that I will say, and that's different from the other two Asian countries I've lived in, is moving to Japan is expensive. 
And you, you're, you have to invest money in moving because it's not a cheap place to move to. Um, so that's one consideration. I literally moved to Th Thailand. I think I had 800 bucks in my pocket. Oh, wow. And I was fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just um, I got a little room somewhere and I quickly found a job and didn't save. Well, actually, I had a good life there. But, you know, their money is worth su such a low amount of money. Uh, if you want to save money for something else, I wouldn't recommend living in Thailand, by the way. If you want to save money for living in Thailand, yeah, it's fine. That's good to know. That's good to know. So um, at the end of all that, all said and done, how long have you been in Japan now? Uh, well, uh, 13 and a half years plus those two years earlier, so 15 and a half years in total. And where, and like, where are you at now? Like, how's, you said you started a family. How, how, yeah. how, how many kids you got? I have two kids, uh, and we have an apartment we're paying for in uh, northern Osaka. Um, my life is, I'm pretty happy with the way my life is going. It's a really good place, I think, especially to raise kids. I think my, my biggest criticisms of Japan, I don't like how it's hard for full-time workers to get a long holiday. And I also just don't like the general work pressure. So like I actually got pretty high in the company I was working in. I was doing management. I was doing. So you were saying so, about how you demoted yourself from management. Can you go into a little more details with that? Uh, yeah, uh, just because the higher you go in Japan, it's true of other countries, but especially in Japan, kind of the less freedom you have in terms of your schedule and things like that. And um, I, I was doing fine. I didn't have a big problem with my job, but just balancing that with another person who's also working a full-time salary job is difficult in Japan. Now, I'm not saying it's not difficult elsewhere, but it's probably particularly difficult in Japan. So I thought either probably either my wife has to kind of step down a bit or I have to, and she's doing great in her career. So I thought, sure, I'll do it. All right. All right. But, so so you did it more for personal reasons to spend more time with your family? Uh, yeah, and, and to be able to balance my schedule. Like, you know, if we both have to work on one day and it's, you know, who's going to take care of kids and stuff like that. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. So you, that, that's what made you take the step back. And, and you were yeah. able to do that and, and things still worked out okay? Oh, yeah, it worked out fine. I'm just saying that, you know, I get the impression, I don't know, say if I was living in some place like Northern Europe, that the ability uh, to have two spouses both working full-time and balanced child-rearing would have been easier. It's, Japan is trying on that kind of respect, but the long ways to go. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, like you said, that's, that's actually a common complaint uh, with people in many countries. <laughs> yes, it is. In many modern countries, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... I, I think the really, the really kind of seriously social democratic countries like Denmark or France probably have the least complaints, but it's an issue everywhere. Yeah. And then again, most of my listeners are listening to this from America. So that's a struggle they're constantly working with. There's, there is no childcare really. Yeah. Uh, the child care I have to say, I love the, 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 the healthcare system here is great, especially for kids. Uh, the public daycare system, there's a big controversy and because it's so popular, it's hard to get in. But when you get your kids in it, it's brilliant. And they, you know, the government pays a lot of it. You do have to pay depending on your income. But there's a lot of good things like that. Nice. So 
What would be your message that you'd want to share with anyone who might be interested in either either coming to Japan or just becoming an expat in general? What would be being an expat now for what it sounds uh, half your life now? What, what would be your Matthew's words of wisdom, if you will? <laughs> okay, well, um, be prepared to make an investment in it. It isn't easy to move to another country. It's a big deal, but um, it can be very rewarding. Um, also, um, you know, really read about the country you're moving to. Don't go in there with the attitude that everything is going to be better. You might well have a better life, but, you know, every country has its downsides and upsides. And so, you know, beware of the grass is greener mentality. Um, that not saying that, I mean, I'm happy, I'm frankly happier here than I think I would be in the U.S., but just, um I think sometimes when people go in with so much idealism, it's like, oh, this country is great. It's so much better than the U.S. and it's perfect. And then they have this big crash of disillusionment when they start to see the negative side. So, you know, go in with as much knowledge as you can have and be aware that, you know, every place has good and bad points. I think that would really help. Um, I, just in terms of not having these big up and down when you're loving it and then hating it. Yeah. I think that's what definitely when I first came out here, I was one of those people that that first year here, um, I made the mistake of never really fought, thinking it was going to be the way my vacations were like, and I'm not on vacation anymore. So like, it was a big adjustment from the way just being just the way people treated me because I only came out here as a guest to visit and my family treated me way different when I moved out here as compared to when I came out here on vacation. I forget, do you know that Japanese term, do you know that Japanese word they have for when you're hosting someone and you're supposed to take them sightseeing everywhere? Do you know that word? I always forget that one. Well, I mean, the, the, the I don't, I'm not sure if, I mean, the, there's the word anai, which is like to show people around. Is that what you're thinking of? I think so. I think that's yeah. the one. The, 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 the whole idea that that when someone's visiting, you, you, you want to be a good host and you want to take them to visit places and see things and show them the best parts of Japan. And um, Yeah, that, my, my words is a more generalized term for showing around. So maybe there's something else, some other concept there. There, there um, might be. I, I forget what it is. I, I remember my, my wife, was she always, she always mentions it whenever we have someone visiting. She mentions this word. Either way. The, 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 con the, the concept, the, what I got out of it was in Japanese culture, they do have this concept of when someone's visiting from another country, they want to show them the best parts of it, if you know, if you, if, if you know what I'm saying, like show them the, the best sightseeing spots and get, maybe give them a nice warm welcome, if you will. But um, it was what I realized when I came here to live here was that I thought that concept no longer applied to me. I was now part of the family and I had a different set of responsibilities and people treated me differently than when I just came here to visit. And definitely visiting a country and living there are really different things. So, you know, it doesn't mean that if you go to a country and love it, that you shouldn't consider it as a place to move, but don't expect it to be the same. Yeah. The other, it's not going to be. Um, the other thing I would say just for the listeners out there is that don't limit yourself to the English speaking world. Cause actually, I mean, like a lot of the, the like place like Australia has some similar problems to the United States. But if you move to a non-English speaking country, absolutely take the time to learn the language. It will pay off in dividends later. 
And otherwise you can end up being kind of isolated and that's not good. Yeah, that's not good at all. And also just see, see it as an opportunity. Cause I mean, to me, if I was going to move to yet another country, I think uh, like have the ability, the chance to learn another language would be a big plus in my mind, not a minus. So um, consider that is, you know, this positive thing. You can really have a chance to learn another language. And then kind of adding to that, I also want to mention to those people that are afraid to learn another language or feel they can't learn another language. There is also those people that come out here that if if you if it's not a if it's not a long haul thing you're just here just to kind of feel it out teach some English experience something and then move on from there I've met a lot of expats that have that kind of lifestyle where they just keep going from different country to different country they don't learn all the aspects of the language just the basics to kind of communicate a little bit but um, they stay within their expat community and they mostly spend their time speaking English with their expat community there's nothing wrong with that I'm not knocking that. I'm personally not one of those people. Um, I'm very much not myself. Yeah, but I have. I, 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 you've seen the. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing is, there's a big difference. Like, if you really are like, I, I want to have an adventure and go to a country for two years, and I think it would be wasted to not try to learn the language. But you know, the impact if you're there for two years and you don't learn much is not a big deal. It's just if you're going to live in a society like you want to settle down permanently, yeah, definitely learn the language. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. That, that's what I would I would say the same thing. Um, for me, if, uh, if for all my listeners listening, if you are going to go that route where you're going to learn the language and kind of become more part of the community around you, it's probably a good thing to think about a hobby that you have that you enjoy and try to bring in that hobby um into into the country you're going to uh if you go back a few episodes i believe it's episode 37 of my podcast you you'll hear the interview with uh with with mr etta mr van etta and he, he talks about how he loved crossfit and started doing crossfit started english teaching hated english teaching but got into crossfit and started his own business that way and that's what helped him settle in here um for me it was martial arts i mean yeah i teach english but I realized after all these years that what kept me here, I used to think I didn't have a lot of Japanese friends, and recently I'm realizing that I have actually a lot of close Japanese friends through my martial arts community. That's the community I ended up going towards because I do martial arts. But who knows what you do? Maybe you're a runner. I've met runners. If you listen to the podcast with John, my last podcast, if you jump on my website, um, was with John Yves, and he talks about how he got into ultra running and kind of got into the into the community and a lot of his Japanese friends came from the running community. So yeah, again, just think about the communities you belong to or you may be interested in participating in or hobby and you can bring that into the country you're going to and that'll really help you. It's a fun way to learn the language, I think, rather than just sitting in a like in front of a book or a classroom and trying to knock it out that way. I think that's very good advice, yeah. One thing I can add about English teaching is that I happen to, you know, my, my, my dad was an English teacher. My background is in it. I love learning languages. I love teaching languages. And of course, I'm best qualified to teach English. I love teaching language. A lot of people don't. And that is a, a factor that, you know, can in long term can end up, you know, being negative for people. So, yeah, if, if you do, you know, things like talking about Christopher, who, by the way, I know, hi, Chris, um, it, it, you know, go, going out there, like finding some other thing that you're into 
and starting a business with that, that's, um, that's good stuff because that kind of gives you some more options rather than just like, I'm just going to teach English. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that in this, this new expat series that I've been putting together, um, that's something that I've been talking about. Cause like, so the last interview I did was, was, was with John Hojlo, who's a English teacher, but most of the passion that he's getting out of is he's teaching martial arts. And of course, like you mentioned, Christopher, and uh, Christopher's doing his CrossFit. And then, I mean, some of these people are doing their, their businesses and teaching English, and some of them are just teaching, just doing their business, like, like Christopher is. But I guess what I'm mostly trying to get my listeners to understand is that there's a really diverse community out here. There's a lot of different things you can get into. Well, Matthew, I'm going to wrap things up, man. I really appreciate you coming out and sharing out your experiences and giving out your, your, your life advice for anyone who might be interested. And um, No problem, no problem. Thanks for having me. No problem, brother. No problem. Uh, for you listeners, this is going to be the wrap-up section. Thank you for listening to Social Jello with Angelo. Uh, all my podcasts are available for free at www.socialjello.com. Uh, right now, this podcast is going to be put up in August. So it's August. Uh, next month, I'm going to have a fight in September. I'm preparing for that. Um, but I'll probably have a few more details for that in the beginning of September for that podcast. If you're in the Osaka area and you want to see me fight, I'll probably have details for that then. Do you have any events, Matthew, that you want to invite anyone to? Or are you good? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I'll catch you all later. Peace. Okay. Thanks for your time. This is fucking cool.